0: I mean I keep a notebook on my desk a spiral notebook and I have a list of things so every Sunday night I have a list of things that I want to work on during the week and I have learned that you have to allow yourself room for flexibility because um you know I uh, one of my friends says you, you know position yourself to um take advantage of serendipity I really like that because you know, he, he, you want to be, you don't want to be too rigid, right? You, especially in, in business, there's things that pop up, there's things that happen. And so I usually have a list of things on Sunday night that I want to work on during the week. And then knowing that not all of those are going to get done. And sometimes something on Tuesday happens that I might want to move to the top of the list. So that it's a flexible list, but I, I create a week weekly list of things that I'd like to work on. And then at the end of each day, And this is something I learned from Cal Newport from the book, Deep Work, is um, write down everything that you want to do the next day and write it down in that spiral notebook.
1: I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, leaders, and people looking for high performance in business and in life. Now, each week, I sit down with one of the world's most successful people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, mindsets, and habits that help them get there. Now, it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. And if you want access to over 300 episodes and insights with game changers and change makers, head to whatgotyouthere.com, where you can also subscribe to my Momentum Monday newsletter. Uh, What got you there? What got you, got you? Hey, guys, it's Sean. And today on the podcast, I sit down with the founder and managing partner of Sabre Capital Management, and that is John Huber. Now, John is a really thoughtful and interesting investor who really reads and studies broadly to understand different domains that help make his investment process more sound. And we dive a lot into John's own personal process, how he sets up his day, how he manages his time, what he's reading and what he's looking for when he's studying a book or a great business. So if you're interested in how to think differently and how to approach your craft in a more methodical way, please enjoy this conversation with John Huber. Hey, it's Sean, and after personally coaching CEOs, executives, and professional athletes for more than a decade, and also interviewing over 300 of the world's most successful people on this podcast, I have compiled the most important mindsets, routines, and skills you need to cultivate to skyrocket the success in your own life. Now, I've done this by creating a 19-video lecture online personal development course called You Unleashed. Now, these lectures include how to overcome limiting beliefs and fears that you have, how to develop your personal routine for high performance, and mapping out what your foundational life principles and values are. Now, this course has a proven curriculum where I will teach you everything I've learned from high achievers about how to live a more fulfilling life. Now, you can get exclusive access to this course by clicking the link below or going to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. That's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. Have you been looking for expert on-demand marketing assistance for your business? If so, then I think you're going to be interested in hearing about Marketer Hire. Now, Marketer Hire has made it easy to hire great marketers that are pre-vetted and hand-matched so you can get proven help with your business in less than a week. That's why it's trusted by big companies like Chanel, Netflix, and Puma, and also individual creators like myself. Whatever your marketing hire needs are, Marketer Hire has an expert waiting to help you with your project. It doesn't matter if you're looking to build out an entire team of marketers or just work with an expert marketer a few hours a week. Marketer Hire can handle your needs. And the best part, if you sign up using the link try.marketerhire.com forward slash WGYT, you get an automatic $500 credit to try out on your first hire. It's literally risk-free hiring and no downside with no long-term commitments and no cancellation fees. So go get your $500 credit today by going to try.marketerhire.com forward slash WGYT. John, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Good, Sean. I'm doing well. Hope you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Doing really well. Excited to dive into this and you. I I was wondering, though, to start, has there been a mindset of yours that you think has been incredibly impactful in terms of contributing to your life in a positive way,
0: yeah, I think uh, the mindset that that I've always adopted has been, um, you know, a, 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 an emphasis on continuous improvement. So I think that's in general, um, whether you know, I, I I've tried to apply that concept to everything that I've done in life, whether it's, uh, friendships, human relationships, uh, you know, family and friends, uh, academics, uh, athletics, and then of course business. And so I think that w- if I could point to one thing to maybe oversimplify it, I would say just the pursuit of continuous improvement is something that, um, I've always found a lot of uh, joy and satisfaction and, in, in. uh, you know, trying to trying to pursue. That's funny. About an
1: hour ago, I sent a text to someone. It was basically the the upward spiral arrow, and just kind of the concept of the continuous improvement. I'm wondering for you though, where did you develop that? Um, is that something you had for a long time?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I've all. I mean, as far back as I can remember, you know, little league baseball, you know, playing second base. Um, shooting free throws in the driveway as a kid, you know, like uh, just some, I I always gravitated to things where I could, um, I could measure something, Uh, you know, I've always liked numbers, you know, it's part of why I love investing. I've always loved um, specific feedback that you get from, um, you know, whether, again, just, in the driveway, shooting free throws as a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old. Of course, that didn't get me very far because I'm only five eight. So you know, but <laughs> didn't even get didn't even get to high school basketball. But just things like that, um, where I could, um, as far back as I can remember, I, I just found a lot of joy in in um, in being able to stick to to something. And um, you know, I, I ran cross country and track in high school, and that's another example of you know just day after day. It's very consistent. It's a long-term game. You know, it's very, it's a, it's, it's not an overnight type of a thing. It takes a long time, but I, I've always enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed things that have what I like to call long feedback loops that take a lot of time to play out. Um, but if you work hard and you stick to it, um, you know, you can, you can, you can have success, but more importantly for me, I just, i for whatever reason, I've always found a lot of satisfaction in just the the journey and the uh, the effort that goes into those, you know, long feedback loops.
1: So then walk me through the, the path, let's call it to mastery. It's going to take an extremely long time. Walk me through what's going on internally for you during the plateaus. And we, we're all going to hit those plateaus. So I'm wondering what it's like for you.
0: Yeah, not just the plateaus, but the valleys. Too. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> you, get, you get the, the um, yeah. You you know that's all part of the game, right? Um, I'm reading this book on uh, r- right now actually called The Prize. It's a it's a book about the history of the oil industry, and it's an interesting book. But you know the the first few chapters, of course, talk about Rockefeller and the integral role that he played in the uh, the origins of the oil industry and the development of that that business. And, um, you know, everybody knows about Rockefeller, but one of the things in the book, uh, I was thinking about it the other night. And one of the things that stuck out to me was how diligent he was and how detail oriented he was. And, you know, of course he wanted to be rich and, and he certainly, um, you know, enjoyed making a lot of money, but he, he has this phrase called the great game. And I think like that is, uh, that is something that, you know, again, just the, the pursuit of, um, mastery, as you said, that's a great word. Like you never, you never quite get there, right. You never, you never reach perfection. You never quite reach mastery. Um, I suppose some people might be considered masters, but, you know, um, the way I think about it is you're, you know, you're painting something that's never going to be quite finished, but if you can find joy and, and satisfaction in, the process of painting that canvas, that's what's fun. And so, you know, like like I said, the great game, the process, I think, of, of playing that game gets you through those plateaus and gets you through those valleys. Yeah, no,
1: John, I think you bring up a great point that that path to mastery, it's horizontal, right? Like the further you go, the further you realize you have to go. And if you're looking to reach that end destination, then you're not going to get there. You're not going to be able to stay on that path. Uh, One of my favorite examples of the people who are truly in love with the pot process and I'm going to butcher the name on this It was a Japanese director and he's receiving one of the Oscars for a lifetime achievement award So he's 80 years old He's receiving this and he basically gets on stage to receive the award and he apologizes and he says I feel like I'm not deserving of this I feel like I'm just beginning to understand my craft the guy's been doing it for 50 years and to me that's one of the best examples I'm wondering for you, though, you mentioned, and I'm pretty sure it's Daniel Jurgen who wrote the prize, uh, that book, yeah. reading it today, the John you are today, how different are the insights you can uncover reading that book than you would have uncovered 10 years ago?
0: Yeah, um, well, it's interesting. It's an interesting question because uh, I think when you, you know, I, I've noticed this is the first time I've read that, that particular book, but you know I've read a lot of things about Rockefeller. And like I said, I. I knew most of the, you know, I've read a few bios on Rockefeller. So I'm very familiar. I've studied him in depth. But again, every time you read something, you pick up something new. I could read the same book three or four times, which I've actually done. I mean, some of my favorite books I've read a a few different times. And you always pick up new things along the way. So um, I don't have a specific way to answer that question in regards to the prize. But what I would say is um, I think... I you know I I've read I don't I don't know how scientific this is but you probably retain a minority of the information that you read right a a very small minority, like ten percent twenty percent you know I've seen statistics out there like that and so you read something over and over again you you learn different things and also not just I'm not talking just about information but you have a different perspective right you yeah. your your life experience is different um, when I read through the Buffett letters for example which are you know one of the best things you can read as, as someone who's in business or, or someone who's investing. Um, there's so many practical takeaways in there uh, or listening to his annual meetings on YouTube or something. You, you, you know, I've noticed, um, I've been through those numerous times over the years and every time I read them, I remember most of them because I've read them numerous times now, but you always have a different perspective, um, you know, than when you read them five years ago, let's say, or something. So, um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to observe. Yeah. Mor- Morgan Housel has this great line. He says, you don't remember books, you remember sentences.
1: And I thought that was pretty insightful, especially you mentioning the, the Rockefeller takeaway, the great game. Um, you, you mentioned there's multiple books you've read three or four times. Which books have you gone back to and discovered there was a lot more to uncover?
0: Well, you know, from an investment standpoint, um, I've read The Snowball numerous times. Um, I, I haven't, I, I shouldn't say I've read that book numerous times. I go back to that book a lot. Mm-hmm. So there's certain chapters that I do remember certain, I mean, it's a it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a big book. Um, I probably have read it twice all the way through, but I've gone back and read specific chapters numerous times because there's something that I'm, I'm working on in business or in investing. And I wanted to go back and, you know, I remembered, oh yeah, in 1972 Buffett was talking about you know, inflation and the dangers of inflation, or 1977, he wrote this piece for Fortune. And so I go back and read those chapters in that, you know, it's kind of a, like a chronological book, and you can go back and piece together, you know, some thoughts on what he was um, thinking at the time and also what um, kind of businesses he was looking at and investing in. So, I mean that's one that I can point to that i've that I've been through numerous times,
1: yeah, John, I, I know you're pretty intentional about your approach to your craft. I'm wondering how do you cultivate your environment just to really bring out the results you're looking for?
0: Um, well, I think like the environment I, I try to position myself to um, i tr- I try to structure my day to you know pursue the things that I, I find, I mean, number one, the the things that I like to do. So I like to, I like to read. I like to learn. Um, I like to make phone calls. I like to talk to my friends, talk to people, um, not just friends, but people in business, you know, so I try to structure my day around learning and, uh, um, setting up, setting up windows of time to do the most productive work first. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I try to, um, I try to guard my time in the morning to get, you know, the most important work done. And then the afternoon is left for different, different types of, um, you know, work that also needs to get done, but perhaps isn't as important as the, uh, the work that gets done in the morning. Why do you structure the morning that way then? Morning. I just find that's the time I'm, I'm most fresh. You know, I, I, I find it, um, I'm a morning person, so I like working in the morning. Um, you know I to get specific, like I I have two kids. So my day gets uh, uh, you know my it's kind of loud in this house um, from about six thirty to eight. but from eight to noon, it's you know, you know I have an office in town, but I work from home a lot. so I have uh, you know four hours of time, you know, before I'm ready for a break. And so that's just the time that I found to be most productive for me personally. It, everybody's it, different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I was just observing you, what would that look like? That four hour stretch, you got eight thirty to noonish.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of reading. Um, I always have things that I'm working on. So I try to, um, prioritize my list of usually for me personally, it's companies that I'm researching. So reports that I want to read, um, sometimes it's books, you know, I, I have a sort of a quirky, very specific way of tracking my, uh, time and again, this touches on the the idea of long feedbacks, uh, long feedback loops. Sean, where we were talking about earlier, where you know investing is, you know, the business I'm in is is one of these things where you don't get the results immediately, right? It's like the exact opposite of a sales job, where you make like a certain amount of cold calls, or you know, you get instant feedback, you get a certain amount of leads, you get a certain amount of uh, meetings, you get a certain amount of sales. There, that's like a quick feedback loop. In investing, it's very long, and so I've found myself um, again, just this is based on my own personality, my desire to measure things i I realized I needed some way to measure my output so that I could get some satisfaction of the work that I'm putting in, and more more practically have a way to measure um, you know, just sort of keep myself honest, have a way to measure my productivity. and so I've come up with certain categories, um, one of them is you know annual reports. Um, one of them is is books that I've completed, um, phone calls I've read, management meetings. You know, there's a few different categories that I use to measure productivity. Um, and then I have this simple um, spreadsheet that I keep that's called uh, deep work. And I just, um, you know, I call it deep dive sessions where like that 830 to noon could be any one of those things. It could be a phone call with a management team. It could be you know, a chapter of a book that I'm reading on and taking notes. It could be an annual report that I'm reading any one of those things. So that, that tends to be the, the work that I'm doing in the morning.
1: When you're planning that work, when are you planning that? Is it night before or week before?
0: Yeah. I mean, I keep a notebook on my desk, a spiral notebook, and I have a list of things. So every Sunday night, I have a list of things that I want to work on during the week. Okay. And I have learned that you have to allow yourself Room for flexibility because, um, you know, I uh, one of my friends says, you, you know, position yourself to um, take advantage of serendipity. Hmm. I love that, I really like that because yeah. you know, he, it, you, you want to be you don't want to be too rigid, right? You especially in, in business, there's things that pop up, there's things that happen, and so I usually have a list of things on Sunday night that I want to work on during the week, and then knowing that not all of those are going to get done. And sometimes something on Tuesday happens that I might want to move to the top of the list. So that it's a flexible list, but I I create a week weekly list of things that I'd like to work on. And then at the end of each day, and this is something I learned from Cal Newport from the book, deep work is um, write down everything that you want to do the next day and write it down in that spiral notebook or somewhere. It doesn't have to be physically write it down. It could be, you know, on Apple notes or something, but, Um, you know, I, I have a spiral notebook and I write down, you know, what I worked on during the day and then what I'm going to do the next morning. And this is just, again, based on my own quirky personality, I guess, but, you know, it's, it's, and I think a lot of people probably would struggle with this. If you're, if you're in business and you're engrossed in what you're doing, it's hard to put it down. Right. And so that's not, that's, that's a normal thing, I think, but, you know, that helps me kind of, you know, put the work down, leave it on the desk Go home and play with my kids and not be too distracted um, and pick it back up in the morning.
1: Hey guys, it's Sean, and we are about to dive right back into this episode, but before we do, I wanted to take less than a minute to tell you about my online personal development course called You Unleashed. Now, over the years, I've personally coached CEOs, executives, and professional athletes, and I've interviewed over 300 of the world's most successful people on this podcast. And my course, You Unleashed, compiles the most important routines, mindsets, and skills that you need to skyrocket the success in your own life. Now you will learn these things over 19 video lectures that I'm going to teach you in this course. And you can find out more about the course by heading to what got you forward slash you dash unleashed, or you can click the link below. Now that's what got you forward slash you dash unleashed. Is there anything besides running it down at the end of the day you've done to make that transition to back as being the family man at the end of the day?
0: Uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, continue to prove improvement applies to that, you know, it's, it's not a perfect uh, thing. I, I don't have it figured out. Um, I try my best for sure. But, y- you know, you're always, um, you, you're, you're, my free time tends to be back to work, like, okay. you know, I'm I'm thinking about it almost all the time. So, yeah. The, that's just a simple way. I, uh, I I have found it effective because when you write it down, it's sort of like uh, your mind, you can like almost close the book on that yeah. chapter, you know, on, on, on the work you did that day. And and the next morning you're, you're not like, you, you can jump right back into it without spending a half an hour trying to think, okay, what was I working on yesterday? What, what I need to work on today it's, it, it it makes it more of a seamless transition. So I have found that effective, it's not perfect, but It does help
1: so what i'm hearing is you're pretty intentional in terms of prioritizing the day the week just kind of understanding that individual structure you also seem to engage with your interests right like you've designed and cultivated your environment too i like reading i like talking to the friends so i understand this about myself and then that deep understanding about yourself as well right like know thyself know what you need to put your attention towards also just the understanding of the flexibility you create in your day the serendipity and then recapping the end of the day Anything else you feel like for you kind of gives you an edge throughout the day?
0: I think focus, you know, just trying to be intentional, um, trying to avoid distractions, um, you know, staying off of Twitter. Uh, I love Twitter. Like it's to a certain extent. I, I love some things about Twitter. I don't love <laughs> other things about Twitter, but, you know, it, it can be a useful tool to um, engage with other smart people uh, people in business, other smart investors, you can get information, but you need to be very intentional about it. And so I try to limit, you know, myself to sometimes I'll post an article or something, but don't go on there and just start wasting 10 minutes. You know, those 10 minutes are valuable. So again, I try to not do any of that in the morning. If I do any of that, it might be like in the afternoon or something, but, um, Just being deliberate, basically, I think is is something that I try to keep in mind throughout the day.
1: Yeah, you said you you might post an article. I know you've put and thought a lot about the importance of writing in your own life. And to Mm -hmm. go deeper on your ideas, just talk more about the value you've extracted out of writing over the
0: years. Writing has been a huge part of my process and my um, really my life in general. I, I've always found that journaling is effective. Um, you know I keep a personal journal and I keep a business journal and um, and an investing journal, the business and investing journal is is one and the same but um, you know I, I have I've always found it um, I don't know if therapeutic is the right word, but like I, I found it to be a great way for me to get my thoughts down help me organize my thoughts. Um, as I'm writing, I have found it um, to be an effective way of um, identifying weaknesses in my thinking or holes in my understanding. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've always, I mean, going way back, I used to keep a running journal even, you know, just talking about, you know, different workouts I was doing in high school and college. And so it writing for me has always been just a part of whatever I'm doing. It's been uh, sort of a tool that has helped me um think through things that I'm working on and improve my my process, whatever it is that I'm doing.
1: Are you still running about fifty to sixty miles a
0: week? Yeah, I am. Uh, right now, yeah. How's that helped the thinking? Running has been great for me. I mean, I exercise in general. I I like to run. Um I like, you know, I've been a long distance runner. So that's just the the thing that uh the the one sport that I was successful at, I told you about like the free throws <laughs> never got me anywhere. <laughs> Uh, literally didn't go anywhere for me. So, uh, running was the thing that, uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, a moderate amount of success in at least, but, um, yeah, today, you know, I'm 41 years old uh, running for me now is just, uh, a great way to number one, stay healthy. I think that's an important part of, um, you know, obviously that's an important part of life. I think that's also an important part of business though, is just staying healthy. Um, I think it helps your mind uh, as well as your body. Um, and running for me is just another way to clarify my, my thinking. You know, sometimes when I get back from an hour run, I'm always thinking about whatever it is I was just working on in invariably. And so, you know, when you're out in the woods or running around the lake, and you're thinking about that, um, sometimes you come back with uh, a, a better understanding. It, it's a way of like synthesizing things in your brain. You know, everything's in the filing cabinet, but it like helps you extract those files, the individual things that you were looking for. So again, it doesn't work like clockwork every time, but sometimes I'll come back and I'll be uh, have a better understanding of whatever it is I was just working on. So I've, I found that to be a good, a good thing to do. And, and also just a nice break from sitting at the desk, you know?
1: Yeah, it's remarkable what a little steady state can do uh, for the subconscious there. You mentioned something, one of the things that that running or, or writing really does is help you pick apart some of the holes you have in your thinking. Walk me through that even more. I'm just wondering how you get better at developing the insights to look into your <laughs> your 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 holes, your bad thinking, um, and actually extract out real value and how to add to that.
0: It's an ongoing process. Again, um, it, it's just something that it you know the the interesting thing about investing is there is no. Um, and and some people might debate this, but in my opinion, there's no, there's no formula. There's no specific, there, there are checklists and there are guideposts and there are principles that I think you need to apply if you want to be successful, but everything's different. Every business is different because it, businesses are nothing more. If you think about a corporation, I mean, there's some, some assets that are involved, but the, the, the most valuable assets in an organization tend to be, um, especially nowadays, tend to be, you know, the people working, you know, assets aren't really worth anything. And if, if, if you don't have people that are using those assets to produce, you know, value. And so um, what I mean by that is, you know, when humans are involved, um, there's a dynamic aspect to business because humans are emotional and they have behavioral tendencies and they change their minds. And so, there's never. Um, it's not like a, a deck of cards that has a very specific um, probability set. There's a, an uncertain probability set, and that probability set is always changing. And so, I think, I think that's one thing to keep in mind is there's no um, there's no formula to it. Um, but I, I, it's a tough question to answer because I'm, I'm kind of not giving you a specific answer to your question. But it, you know, what I try to do is. Keep that in mind, number one, that you're never going uh, to fill those holes completely because you're never going to have a perfect set of information or a perfect set of understanding about any business. And so for me, it's understanding that, number one. And then number two, just doing the best you can to continue to learn. And, uh, and that's you know, my number one objective, basically.
1: Yeah. So, John, there's not going to be any black and whites here. So how do you know when to make the call on an investment when you, when you know yeah. you don't have all the information?
0: Yeah, I I heard Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, say recently, uh, or maybe this was a year or two ago now, but um, he said something about um, he I don't remember exactly his exact words. He said this more eloquently than I'm about to say, but basically he was saying, you know, you need to you need to get good at making decisions with an imperfect set of facts or an imperfect understanding of the, the facts. Because otherwise you're going to be frozen and you're never going to make th- those decisions. And so um, that is a liberating thought if you're an investor, because um, you know there's a there's a point along the spectrum of um, perfect understanding, which maybe you would say a T bill, right? There's no risk to investing in a T bill, essentially. Even then, there might be some risk, but you know, in my world, I would consider that risk free, right? Um, and then there's other risks way out on the other side of the spectrum where it's there's all kinds of risks. Right. And so the question is, where where do you fall as an investor? Where do you fall on that spectrum? I tend to be more toward that t- more toward the certainty. So for me, I want to have a firm understanding of the business. I want to have feel like the odds are in my favor. You know, I write a blog called Basin Investing. I'm a big fan of Basin is more of a uh, conceptual framework. Um, continuous improvement type of a thing, but base hits when it comes to investing is, you know, more on the certainty side. So I tend to focus on um, investments where I feel highly confident. So it's, there's no specific way to answer that, but um, I definitely would would try to understand as, as fully as I can, knowing that again, you're never going to understand everything about a business and you're going to make mistakes. So there's never a perfect set of understanding.
1: Yeah. Saying, saying you try to get to a place, a, a pretty high confidence before making that decision. Has there been a point where you had high confidence on something? It didn't work out the way you did. And then I'm wondering what, what you're doing mentally during those times to rebound.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think anytime you're in business and investing, uh, you're, you're going to make mistakes. And so there's absolutely those situations that come up and how do you rebound from it? You just know that it's sort of a process versus outcome type of a thing, right? I think you have to have a process and then you have to stick to that process. If you identify a weakness in the process, you can adapt and change the process, but you need to stick to your process and then um, live with the outcomes, right? And sometimes those outcomes are good and sometimes they're bad. Peter Lynch used to say, you know, if you bat 600 in investing, 6 out of 10, um, you'll be in the Hall of Fame. So that means the best investors are getting 4 out of 10 wrong in his – definition. um, You're going to get a lot of them wrong. The best investors in the world get them wrong sometimes. Um, But um, so I think that's that's part of you you just have to shake those off and understand, you know, try to learn from your mistakes, of course, but understand that mistakes are part of the game. Sometimes it's a mistaken analysis. Sometimes it's just what I said before. Businesses change. Businesses adapt. uh, Management's change. They make poor decisions that you have no control over. And so you have to understand that all of those things are part of um, you know, this great game. Yeah. To, to use the Rockefeller
1: quote. One of the things I appreciate about business as a whole or investing is you mentioned trusting the process and the nuance in understanding, wait a second, is my process actually correct? And I know when confidence gets shaked, that comes up as a question. And I'm wondering just how you think through that and really understanding if the process that I have and the one that we're implementing, if this is correct or do we need to go back and kind of understand if this process needs some changing? How would you navigate that as a business owner or an investor?
0: Yeah. Great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, again, it comes back to journaling. Um, I'll, 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 I'll plug the journal software that, that I use journalytic. Um, you know, this, I, I use that, um, software to, that's my basically my daily, um, writing that I do. And I, and I have a tag in there. You can tag things. It's a, it's a very effective, journaling tool. Um, and I have a tag called thoughts. I have a tag called process and basically anytime that I'm thinking about those topics, I will write it down. And so, um, I try to make incremental improvements, but I also want to be wary not to, um, over optimize if that makes sense. So, so I think, um, the way I've generally done it is once a year I go back and I, look at my process and I look at my investment checklist and, you know, there's, there's five things that I'm basically looking for in in an investment. And, you know, those, those things don't tend to tend to change much, but um, there's, there's little things that, that I will add to um, the process over time to, to tweak it when I find that it's um, that it, that it needs to happen basically. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a, you want to write things down, you want to learn from it, and then you want to review it. That's another thing that I think writing is, uh, or another thing about writing that has been helpful to me is actually reviewing my notes later, because reviewing your notes is a good way to, um, you know, sort of, it, it's sort of that serendipity thing. Sometimes sometimes I'll be reading something I wrote a year ago, and it'll start, you know, get the juices flowing. It'll It'll jog my memory, basically, and and I'll have a different perspective. And so it's, it's a useful, it's a useful tool to not just write things down, but actually review them as well.
1: Mm-hmm. well. Why after a handful of years investing in real estate, did you switch over and start Sabre Capital Management?
0: Yeah, well, I always wanted to start um, an investment partnership. Um, when did that idea? When,
1: yeah, when did that de- that idea really set um, in for you?
0: Well, the idea set in for me when I read, uh, I I believe it was the book Warren Buffett Way, where that was the first book that this book was written in the mid 90s. And that book was um, instrumental to my thinking in in wanting to kind of try to replicate a structure that he had, which was, you know, we would now just call it a like a hedge fund. But, you know, he called it an investment partnership. And, you know, he started it with some family and friends and, um, he didn't charge a management fee. He charged a performance fee, <laughs> excuse me. And so I, I read that and I thought, wow, that's a great, um, that seems really interesting. And this was like probably over 20 years ago now, before I really knew anything about the hedge fund industry or anything like that. So, so I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, intrigued that, by that without the
1: the experience. Why did that set in for you at that time? Any idea?
0: Um, I, well, I, I, I wanted to invest my money. I, I've always, you know, prior to that, I, I, I've always been interested in investing. So, I mean, to go back a little further, my dad was a very avid investor. Um, he was an engineer at a company called Delphi, which was, uh, a auto parts supplier for General Motors. And uh, so he was an engineer, but he, um, you know, invested his own account. And so as a kid, like we'd be, I would take along with him to the library and like look at value lines and stuff. I can remember doing that and just kind of, you know, starting to get intrigued about what he like, what are you doing? What are you working on dad? You know, type of thing. And so I became interested in investing um, just by kind of observing what he was up to. And then um, I always thought like I would get into a career of some kind and follow that same general playbook of investing my savings and, you know, taking an active role in investing my, my surplus savings. Um, but then I started reading about Buffett and I just became like super captivated by, uh, the business in general, uh, the business of investing and, and, and also just the, uh, I found myself becoming super interested in, in learning about businesses and studying them. And so I thought, well, maybe I should try to pursue this somehow. So I kind of had a roundabout way to starting Sabre, you know, back to your first question on real estate, the transition, it started for me, like, how do I, how do I get enough capital together to launch a partnership? And, you know, this was very naive, like very green back in those days. Like I thought, well, maybe I'll start, maybe I'll form a real estate partnership and um, we did see some opportunities. A friend of mine and I formed a partnership. And this was getting into the time when real estate was starting to um, look a little bit interesting. In 2006, we started seeing a lot of the for sale signs. The market started to plateau and started to, to come down. Um, of course, 2007 was, was the uh, subprime crisis, and that was really the foreclosure boom. And then, of course, two thousand eight was Lehman and the financial crisis. But really, like two thousand six, two thousand seven was a really interesting time because banks were trying to unload these assets. So I, we, we decided to go into real estate, um, try to, um, you know, basically make, make, make some money, and and use it as a means to an end. Um, it wasn't probably the, the most efficient uh, path, but that's the path I chose. It gave me the autonomy. It gave me time to work on what I wanted to work on. I've always loved being an entrepreneur so i had a lot of fun doing it um so that that was kind of the the goal with real estate and you know it took eight or nine years of investing to where i felt like i had enough capital to uh set apart you know set a partnership up and you know have enough of a nest egg to pay the bills
1: well i think one of the really important things that's coming out here is your ability to think long term even back then i mean you had to put the, the eight ish nine ish years in with that end goal in mind. And I'm just wondering during that time, cause I'm thinking about, all right, say uh, I'm working for a company. Now I'm thinking about starting a company at some point. Was there anything you were doing at your time in real estate that was setting yourself up for when you finally made the leap and started Sabre?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all the time, every day, you know, I'm reading the Buffett letters, like back, th- back in those days, I designed my own little MBA program. I call it John's MBA. I, what did that look it, like? It, just yeah. all kinds of stuff. I mean, just, I like I literally went to different curriculums and found their curriculums cuz I thought I could go get an MBA but I don't really need an MBA because I don't really want to go get a job. <laughs> so I I never wanted to go get a job and and I always wanted to be my own boss and so I thought well I don't need to go get an MBA I'll just read whatever they're reading, you know, and so I kind of cherry picked the ones that I thought were useful but honestly it wasn't a, a whole lot of conventional curriculum cuz I quickly discovered it's you're better off just being practical and, and be, I mean, MBAs are very valuable. I'm not trying to say they're not, I, I just chose to, you know, I've, I've always found like the sort of the monastery method of like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to perform better if you're interested in the, the work that you're doing in interest in what you're studying, you know, you're going to learn more. And so I set up a, a whole curriculum, but like I said before, with flexibility, I quickly found like you're better off just, following your nose and sort of pulling on different threads that, that, that interest you. And so I, I, w- very early on, I was studying, you know, different business models and trying to read annual reports, trying to learn about what makes certain companies successful, that type of thing. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was um, what you said, the long-term thinking, I, I wasn't, um, I was thinking long-term. I, I wasn't explicitly, um I guess I didn't realize I was thinking long-term, but I really was because I was trying to set myself up for um, starting this partnership, knowing that it might take a few years. And I remember this conversation with a friend of mine who was saying, you need to go get a job. Like you need to go to wall street or like go work at a fund or something. Or, and I kept telling him, no, no, no. I want to like work on what I want to work on. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm like investing right now. Like this is I'm, I'm taking I'm sacrificing current earning power, right? I could go get a job and make a lot more money right now, but I'm sacrificing that earning power now um, to build up a bank of knowledge that I hope will, you know, pay dividends later on. So that that was kind of the thought process back in those days.
1: Well, describe to me that the hope the latching on hope there always that like for you because I know that's, that's an extremely challenging thing for a lot of people especially when you have like you said your friend being like dude you got to take a job here make, make some money yeah. now and you're like no no no, I'm thinking long term just just walk me through that because I know there's a lot of people in your position who are trying to build up their bank of knowledge but the outside all those things from the external are coming at them
0: yeah I think you know, one thing that Charlie Munger has said that I've always uh that, you know I I used to do this basically uh before I you know even heard him say this but um he has this phrase that i think is really useful for people to think about which is he was an attorney before he started his investment fund and he used to um basically take out an hour of his morning um instead of using that hour to earn money fr- from a client he would basically sell himself that hour and so he would use that hour to work on his real estate projects or you know work on uh, his investments or whatever he was working on. Right. You know, I don't know what he did exactly, but he carved out an hour for himself every day. And that's a really great um, thing to do, I think, for for anyone, really, even if you're wh- whatever it is you're interested in, you know, carve out an hour to try. If you're interested in getting better at something, carve out an hour of, of your day. Maybe it's super early in the morning before your kid's wake up and demand all your attention or you know maybe it's late at night whatever whatever time of the day you have um you know try to take that hour if you're an investor try to you know you have a job and you're you're trying to invest your own account take an hour and read an annual report you know like do something productive with that hour and move the ball forward i've always you know, found that to be an effective way to do it.
1: Yeah. Uh, John, I know you're a sports fan. What did you learn from Bill Belichick in this somewhat meaningless <laughs> mid game back in 09 against the Colts?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've cited that oftentimes. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a Patriots fan and he's always laughing about how I'm, I'm always talking about this cause I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I grew up in Buffalo. So obviously I'm, I'm not a Patriots fan. Um, But, um, you know, I've always admired Belichick and the way that he uh, runs that organization, basically. Um, And I'm not a football expert, but, you know, I follow it closely. I'm a big football fan. Right. And so one of the things uh, that play that you're citing in 2009, um, you know, this is before the days of money, before Moneyball, the concept entered football. Right. Moneyball was around in baseball and you were starting to see certain things in, in various sports um, analytics, basically. But um, back in those days, um, you know, if it was fourth and two, you'd punt the ball, right? Especially if you had the lead. And in this particular game, it was uh, one of those classic Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady matchups, Patriots versus Colts. The Patriots were down by six, uh, or I'm sorry, the Patriots were leading by six with, um, I don't know, like two or three minutes left in the game. And they had a fourth and two on their own 30-yard line. And Belichick, with a six-point lead, decides to go for it. Instead of punting the ball back to Peyton Manning, he decides to go for it and try to win the game. Because, you know, if you pick up the first down, you can run out the clock, the game's over. And so the conventional wisdom at the time was, you have a six-point lead, punt the ball and play defense and try to win the game. And make Peyton Manning go, you know, 70 yards instead of 30, right? If you don't get the first down, you give him a short field. So he went for it and didn't get it. And it's one of those classic like process versus outcome things where everybody, afterwards, immediately afterwards, called it crazy, right? And nowadays, I think people look back on that and say, no, that actually was the right call because we have all these analytics now, and every team goes for it on fourth and two and fourth and one, and like that's a very common thing now. We've discovered that oh, it actually is the right thing to do, like mathematically, and like it has a positive positive expectancy to go for it in those situations. But back then, there was none of that. Like we didn't have that data but Belichick just had that intuition. He just knew he didn't need the data. He's just that good of a football coach to, to, to go for it. And so one of the things that stuck out to me was why I, I thought, I remember thinking this in real time. I was so impressed with his decision to go for it. And I was happy he didn't get it because I, I was rooting against the Patriots. But um, the fact that he went for it was super impressive to me. And I, I was thinking like no other coach could have done that because if you don't get it, you know, you look like a fool. It's a bad outcome, even if it was a good process. But everybody's going to point to the outcome. And you have this career risk, right? You have this um, you might get fired for a decision like that. But Belichick knew that he wasn't going to get fired because he had won three Super Bowls at that point. And so he had the you know, the, he had built up enough capital, like goodwill, basically, in the organization to be able to make the decision that he thought was best for the football team. And that's one of that perhaps that's the most the the thing that I admire most about Belichick is he never considered any any of these outside factors. I think he would have made a great investor because he he only was trying to make the right play or the right call at that time. Right. He he was only focused on doing whatever he thought was the best thing uh, for the team. And and if you and it sounds obvious, but if you think about if you know football, there's all just like investing, just like business there's all sorts of you know ulterior motives that come in whether it's keeping a client happy or you know doing something this quarter that might be to your detriment longer term but you have to do it this quarter because you have a certain constituency that wants to see you know earnings you know better earnings this quarter or something so there's all sorts of decisions that are made that are not the right thing to do for long term value or or you know and, and in football You know, a coach might say "Uh, it might be the right thing to do, but I'm not going to risk my job over this. So I'm going to punt the ball, you know, stuff like that. So I I always thought his ability to, um, you know, rise above all of that and make the right decision was something that was was really, I think, probably an underrated aspect of his his tenure as a coach. And uh, I always thought, you know, I want to set up my business that way. I want to set up my fund that way where I can make that fourth and two call if I want to and not worry about what, um, you know, someone's gonna maybe perhaps second guess me or something. So I think I think avoiding career risk is a huge thing in the investment world. Yeah, John, I, re- I really
1: appreciate the insights into career risk. What I take away from that story though, is out of the, let's call it millions of people who watched that game and watched that play call, how many of them are thinking about career risk at the time? And i venture to say very few. And so I'm wondering, what have you done over the years that allows you to watch a football game and on a meaningless fourth and two understand something that directly correlates to what you do?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, a part of it is just, I'm always thinking about investing, you know, so <laughs> so, I'm always, so then the obsession, And I'm watching the game and I, I enjoy following the, you know, I, I like studying great, uh, greatness, right. Because you're again, back to the continuous improvement idea, you know, I, I like, um, you know, I like studying what makes organizations good, right? What, what makes the San Antonio Spurs a, a good organization? Uh, you know, obviously you have Tim Duncan and you have, you, you know, you need, you need certain players. Um, it all has to come and play. It, it all has to fall into place. So there's been a lot of great players, you know, not, not pre- no, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time, but, um, I don't think he would have won seven Super Bowls under or six Super Bowls, I should say, you know, with the Patriots if if, if there was no organization, not just Belichick, the whole thing. So I, I I've always found it fun to study these these um, you know the the greats basically and and try to learn from them. So that's that's part of it is just you know observing that and 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 then just you know I, I like I like following the game within the game. Like I I, I like football, I like baseball, um, but I like uh, I like the business of the sport too. Um, and I've become more interested in that, you know, over time and stuff, but yeah, I I like, I like following human, human behavior and observing those types of things. So I tend to just notice those types of things, but, um, part of it is just, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always looking for a, a sports metaphor and how to, you know, Torture that into some, some sort of relevant um, takeaway for investing.
1: Yeah, you, you said you love studying excellence. You, you mentioned Brady, obviously, Belichick, stuff like that, um, the Spurs. Any other examples come to mind for you of people or organizations that you've gone back to over the years?
0: I mean, I, yeah, I, I like to read a lot of biographies. I mean, Franz Liszt is one of the greatest uh, piano players of all time. And, you know, he, he lived in the 19th century. He was born in like 1811. Coincidentally, actually, that's the same year as uh, Frederick Chopin. The two of those guys were like two of the greatest piano players of all time, and um, they lived in the same city, Paris. Um, Even though, even though they were both from different countries, so it's kind of an aside that you're probably not interested in. But um, that that you know, studying those guys, like like he used to sit at a piano and for seven hours at a time when he was like seven or eight years old he would play scales just over and over and over again. And it's, you know, it's remarkable. Like I have two eight year, I have twin eight year olds, you know, it's like, they're not sitting at a, they play piano, but if I can get 20 minutes out of them, it's, it's a productive afternoon, you know? So it's like, there's certain things that, you know, you study and, or you, you you know, it's, it's fun to read these, these, um, it's fun to study these, these, these excellent, um, uh, practitioners of whatever field they're in, you know, it tends to be things I, that I'm interested in. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've always found it fun to do that. So that's that's the main reason I do it. But also you can find takeaways and, you know, things that you can apply to your own life. Yeah, you, I, I'm also very
1: interested in this, hence the, the podcast and deep dives on people. I look for things that I call uncommon commonalities, right? Like what are the commonalities amongst those uncommon people? And so I'm wondering, are there any other themes that come to mind for you, right? Like you mentioned just being able to sit at a piano for seven hours when you're that young anything else that has just kind of come up again and again across all these people you've looked into?
0: I think, I, I mean, obviously hard work, right? Like that's, that's one of those things that is a, a, a buzzword that everybody um, references, but it's, it's sort of like a great company that everybody knows about, but yet it remains undervalued because, it's so, so valuable that it, it you know, might trade at a 25 PE, but it's still undervalued, you know, like the, you know, the Walmarts or the Starbucks or the home depots, you know, the, like these great companies, like there are certain things, hard work is is one thing that even though everybody knows about it, it's that's, that I would say that, that that's number one um, talent is obviously, it goes without saying that you need talent um, in whatever it is you're doing to become great. But I think, um, the commonalities would be hard work. And then focus would be the other thing. I think just that that diligence and, and, you know, some people have the the motivation or the interest to stick with something for a very long period of time. And uh, I think those are two common, you know, the the uncommon commonalities I, I would point to those would be two of them off the top of my head.
1: Say you could sit down You could interview anyone who you've uncovered as being excellent in their craft across history you get to sit down interviewing them who are you going to interview and what are you going to ask them
0: (laughs) that's a great question i'd have to think about that um yeah that that'd be a fun one to think about but i you know i I i think like for the business that i'm in if i could sit down with anyone it would be warren buffett you know um what I would ask him I would have all kinds of questions but um yeah I think um I, I would want it to be practical and I would want to ask him something specific about um you know some of the investments that he made like I'm thinking back in his partnership days I would I would want to I would want to ask him about portfolio construction you know how he structured different investments things that that are not in the public domain I I would focus on something practical and something, um, probably in his early days in like the fifties and sixties, you know, ask him about the investments he made in his personal account, things like that. So that, that comes to mind as, as one thing. Um, one person that, that, you know, from a business perspective, that would be the the one guy that I'd, I'd love to have lunch with. Who would be up
1: there in terms of business operators?
0: Yeah. In terms of business operators, um, there there are a lot of businesses that I admire um that are up and coming I mean some of them are businesses where I do get a chance to talk to the management team, so some of them are you know even companies that I own in the portfolio um yeah so i'm I'm thinking through like who who would it be i mean i I think like outside of of current um Investments that I have, it would be, you know, I'm reading, you know, Rockefeller comes to mind as a guy like from history that it'd be fun to pick his brain on how he operated. He, he was always a, a fan of the low costs. Uh, you know, he was like the original low cost operator. He understood very early that you in a commodity business, the way to win is to have the lowest costs. And, you know, it'd be fun to, to ask him more details around that because you know standard oil was really the first modern day public uh not public the first modern day corporation global corporation um i mean there were obviously businesses plenty of corporations before that but it was it was really one of a kind and it it's it it uh you know there there wasn't any conventional wisdom about how to how to operate a business or you know he just intuitively knew these things so it'd be i'm just thinking of that cuz the book i referenced earlier is top of mind but yeah i mean he he would be one um yeah, I'd, I'd have to think about that more in terms of pinpointing who would be the the operator that I would want to have lunch with. Um, there, there are there are again some smaller companies that I probably don't want to mention, but there there are a lot of a lot of companies on my watch list that I'd like to.
1: Yeah, so you like mentioned those those up, yeah. those up and coming companies. What are you looking for in those companies?
0: yeah one thing I'm looking for right off the top is a business that passes what I call the tenure test so they are um you know the ten year test would be a, a, a close your eyes and can you visualize what this company looks like a decade from now that ha- that's like at the top of my list I, I need to be able to understand the business I need to be and when I say understand it, it means understand why is this company winning and and what makes it likely that they're gonna continue to win 10 years from now. And it's not that every investment I make is 10 years, it, but that's kind of the time horizon that I go into it with. Because if you can't visualize the company 10 years from now, I think you're you're taking a risk that, um, you know, something might happen five years from now, or the, if the business is too fast changing, it's hard to value a business if you can't visualize what it looks like 10 years from now. So that that's that's the number one thing. Um, you know, being highly confident that the business is going to have more earnings in ten years than it does now, and and um, and then I look for things like I, I'm looking for a consistent uh, record of free cash flow, you know, something that exhibits that the company has had success um, in the past and and has a, a record of consistent returns on capital. So you know, I'm looking in a nutshell, I'm looking for simple businesses that I can understand that are consistent, high quality, and are gonna have you know, preferably higher earnings and fewer shares in 10 years. Is
1: there anything, John, that you've discarded? It could be in, in how
0: you're studying a business, or it
1: could just be in your, your approach to your craft that you've discarded over the years because it really wasn't giving you the returns you thought it needed to?
0: So a business that, like a stock that I've sold, or?
1: I'm wondering about your personal approach to how to study a business where, hey, you know what? Actually, over, looking over the last 10 years, this did not benefit me or my thought process. Let me eliminate this.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, w- one thing that, you know, growth is something that's very important to me. Like, I, I think you have to have a business that, one of my favorite quotes from Buffett is, you you want to develop, you want to build, a. if you're an investor, you want to build a portfolio of companies that are almost certain to have higher earnings, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now. And that's always been sort of at the bedrock of my investment philosophy. So growth is very important. One thing I have learned, though, is, you know, I did this talk last fall that I call the three engines. There's really three ways that to get value from from a business, from a stock. You know, there's two ways to extract value from a, from any business. It's the cash you get now and the cash you get later. Right. And that'd be growth right and so the value of that is is the discounted present value of all that cash that comes in so um you can get the cash flow now and you can get more cash flow later the third thing would be um you know in the from a stock perspective it's the change in the valuation ratio that the market uh, ascribes to that stock so the pe ratio right If, if you buy a stock at 10 and it goes to 20 um that's a 2x return right and so you the the result of any stock is going to be the growth that it achieves the change in the p e ratio and the change in the shares outstanding those three things um to answer your question growth is although i want growth it's not as um it's it's a it's a it's an input into the valuation it's not essential yeah, yeah. and i think that's important to remember especially like we're going through this period you know of the last few years where growth has been very highly valued um and and growth is valuable for the most part usually but um i think i think some investors place too much emphasis on it and uh and i've i've learned myself that the the way i've adapted my checklist is to think um in terms of is the company heading toward its prime or away from its prime mm-hmm. and so i want growth i want a company that's going to have higher earnings 10 years from now but there's not a certain growth rate that you need some businesses i own have Growth rates upwards of twenty percent per year; those are rare. Um, those are exceedingly rare to be able to do that for a long period of time. Other businesses might be growing at six percent or eight percent, right? So it's it's uh, the value comes from you know how much are you paying for that growth, basically. So growth is is an input into the value, but it's not um, necessarily its own category. Hmm.
1: What about right now? I, I know you said you're reading the prize. What else has you most excited, or you're just spending a lot of time on right now?
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm reading all kinds of interesting things on um you know small cap stocks. I you know to be specific about investing, I, I think it's really interesting right now. There, there there seems to be this disparity between large companies and small companies in terms of the valuations. And um from time to time that happens. So I'm I'm reading about all kinds of interesting small companies that you know I, I just visited one recently in atlanta um and it's it's uh, yeah it's it's just it's it's very interesting to study these because they're so different than the large companies that i they, that i've tended to invest in over time and i have no preference for large cap or small cap i just try to find whatever i can understand that fits those criteria you know good business at a um you know at a price that makes sense to me that that i think is going to grow and have fewer shares over time right great capital allocation um, so it doesn't matter to me whether it's large or small, but right now I'm reading about, um, a lot of different companies in, in a variety of different industries. It's hard to be specific because there's a lot of them that are interesting, but that's, that's one thing that has me excited. Um, you know, I'm, I, I always have different projects I'm working on. I'm, I'm reading about the oil industry and the energy transition and things like that, that I found very interesting. Um, it's going to be fun to see how that plays out over the next decade or two, you know, things like that. Um those, those are a couple things that come to mind. John, this has been a ton of fun for me
1: getting to understand a bit more about you, your process, how you approach your craft. I'm not going to let you escape though. If you could do this long form interview, anyone dead or alive, who would you just love to sit down with and just ask questions for hours of?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So if I was in your seat, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think it would be it would be really fun to sit down with um, a guy like Henry Singleton, who I think is one of the great capital allocators or was one of the great capital allocators of all time. Not We're enough information company. on them.
1: It's it's hard to get some really good yeah, information on it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I was thinking about your previous question that like that, that would be guys like that where you can learn something practical to take away. I think um, one thing to be mindful of in business is at least for me um you know, to be great at something, you, you you tend to have to make sacrifices. And so, I'm not a big fan of these questions I hear at the annual meeting, um, like uh, like when people ask about um, you know Warren Buffett's life philosophy and things. And he he has some great advice. So don't, I'm not trying to say that 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 that's wrong to do, but um, he has some great life advice, some great perspective. But what I like is to think these guys are great at what they're doing. I want to try to be as practical as I can, and and you know ask questions that relates to uh, not necessarily life advice, because I can, I might choose someone else to get that advice, right? Some, somebody in my personal circle, like there's all sorts of people that you've never heard of that are just friends in my circle that I might value their advice on that particular topic more than somebody else. So yeah. Like Henry Teledyne is one of the great capital allocators of all time. So it'd be fun to, to your point, there's not a lot of information on him. There's, there's some, and people are, people talk about him every once in a while, but, um, it, it, it'd be neat to, to get into his head and ask questions about how he, how he thought about issuing shares and buying back shares and making acquisitions and, you know, those sorts of things. Capital allocation is at the end of the day, um, one of the most critical parts of uh, business, right? A business that produces cash uh, except for the ones that pay it all out. Um, you know, the, that, that, that CEO has a underrated aspect or uh, I think that the, the The capital allocation role is often um, underappreciated, even by executives themselves. They don't realize uh, how much value they control or how much potential value they control by the alloc, uh, you know, the capital allocation decisions that they make. So, yeah, that that'd be one guy that comes to mind.
1: So, is there a, a modern day capital allocator that you think will get talked about, like Henry Singleton of Teledyne at some point?
0: I think uh, the you know, there, there's some really interesting companies that are are doing some of the, some of the businesses I like. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll reference one, and it's it's a, a business called Florinacore. and this is not. Um, the, you know, Tom Taylor is the CEO. He came from Home Depot. What I like about businesses like this, so this would this would apply to like, you know, this would it's a similar business to a Home Depot or a Walmart or a Starbucks, where there was a certain formula and the value of a, a smart leader in a business like that is just stick to the playbook. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think there's an underrated aspect of businesses that don't try to, don't try to go outside of their circle of competence. They just stick to the playbook. These guys can open up a new store at 30% returns on capital and just stick to doing that all day. You know, don't get distracted by other things. Um So, I mean, that, that's one that comes to mind. I, I find it, it, there is there going to be another Henry Singleton, perhaps, but those are really hard to predict, mm-hmm. right? I, I think the businesses where you can you can. What I'm saying is, I think it's it's as an investor, it's really it's really smart to look for guys that are doing things that are rational that you can understand. Mm-hmm. So you know the the two the two things that I ask myself when I'm measuring the proficiency of a capital allocator is do I understand the decisions they're making? And can I measure it? Right. So it's not just like, I mean, there's all sorts, you could, you could point to like a guy like Mark Zuckerberg might be one that is just, he's done incredibly well at take, you know, bringing Facebook to where it was and to where it is now has been just, I mean, that guy gets bashed all the time. But if you look at the things he, like he bought Instagram for $1 billion, you know, so has he made some mistakes sure there's been some some issues there and and i don't know anything about like what the metaverse is gonna do so that 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 he might be one that would be at the end of the day um you know he's he's not like henry singleton but because he's a different type of capital allocator. but he has a vision for where things are going or he has right but that's hard to measure for me yeah that thing with the metaverse that i've had trouble with recently is like these companies that are investing in these areas it's hard to measure it. So I like businesses where um, I can, I can understand the decisions they're making and I can measure it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that actually is part of the process that I've tweaked over the years is, you know, learning, learning that uh, through, through mistakes and through different observations. So, um,
1: Well, it's continuous yeah, improvement, it. right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> John, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, I, I want to link the listeners with you. Where can they stay connected with you and everything you're doing with Sabre Capital Management?
0: Yeah, the, the website, uh, my firm has a website, SaberCapitalMGT.com, and uh, I write a blog called Base Hit Investing, and you can probably find that um, by Googling it, and then I'm on Twitter as well. And so, um, John Huber 72 so feel free to reach out, and uh, would love, always love engaging.
1: You guys made it
0: to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you
1: guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through.